Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. The second reading from this weekend's readings is a very powerful one. We begin Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Now, we'll be reading from Paul's letter to the Corinthians for the next several weeks. Therefore, I think it's important for us to really dwell on it this weekend, really look at it and see how powerful it is. Next to Romans, I would say Paul's letter to the Corinthians is probably the most theologically correct regarding the spiritual life, the moral life, as well as the structure of the church and how we relate to the church with Christ. Therefore, I think it's important for us to spend some time with it. Now, the second reading is very short. It's the very first paragraph of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And yet, in this very short passage, it's packed with a lot of spiritual content. In fact, you can say it sums up what the Christian life is all about. And these simple words we hear from the very beginning is the typical way that people in the ancient world would address their letters. But we have to pay close attention to this letter, especially this first paragraph, because within it, it contains extraordinary richness. Now, how does it begin? It says, Paul, being called an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, Well, Paul, he immediately addresses the letter by naming himself. Now, we all know Paul is not his original name. He was originally named Saul when he was born. And Saul, we all know, was the greatest persecutor of our church. And yet, on that road to Damascus came his great conversion, and he became a changed person forever. Consequently, Paul takes a new name, which is Paul. Paul is a very Roman-sounding name, and why not? Paul is a Roman citizen by birth. Here is the first thing that we can take from this. It's a basic biblical truth. After we have encountered God, after we encounter the Lord in our life and found our vocation, we become a new person. As I've said before, when you encounter the Lord in your life, you cannot remain the same person. You're going to be walking a different path. You're going to be a different person because you realize now you share a life with Jesus Christ. And so it warrants, it demands a change. Well, Paul is a great example of this. Paul now is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now he's the greatest defender of our church. And so he changes his name. If you look out through sacred scripture, you see people exactly like Paul. They encounter the Lord in their life. They find out their vocation from God, and now they are a changed person. And a symbol of that change is a change in their name. Look at Abram. He encounters the Lord, finds his vocation, and now his name is changed to Abraham. Look at Simon. He encounters Jesus Christ into his life, and now his name is changed to Peter. 
Again, Paul is a great example of that. That's what he's telling us from the very beginning of this letter. St. Bonaventure once said, You don't know who you are until you find your vocation from God. Well, that is so true. Our true identity is rooted in our vocation that we received at baptism. That's why I always say baptism is such a great sacrament. Our ultimate identity for each and every one of us is the same. We are all disciples of Jesus Christ. That's our identity. That's our vocation. And yet, we live it out in many different ways. As husband, wife, mother, father, as librarian, secretary, administrator, surgeon, nurse, police officer, firefighter, plumber, electrician. We all live out that life of discipleship in many different ways. But nonetheless, that's our identity. Next, Paul specifies who he is. It says he's called to be an apostle. Now notice Paul puts himself in the passive voice. He's called. He's summoned. He's summoned by God. Now, don't make the mistake. Paul did not wake up one day and say, you know, I'm really getting tired of persecuting the church. Now I'm going to join it. In fact, not only am I going to join it, I'm going to be a leader. Uh Uh-uh. Instead, Paul is telling us from the very beginning of this letter, God called, God willed Paul to be this apostle. And so Paul is just following God's will. Now, so much of modernity in our culture right now is based upon the active voice. It's my life. Everything is about me. It's my decisions. Don't tell me what to do. I am the arbiter of what is morally right and wrong. Well, what does that attitude do? It locks us in on ourself, in our ego. And yet, I've said many times before, your life is not about you. Your life is not about you are number one in this world. It's all about you, your wants, your desires, your pleasure. Everything else, everyone else in this world is secondary to you. No. If we truly are disciples of Christ, then our life is about sharing a life with God. We are part of God's life. And from that shared life comes our identity. And we receive that identity at the very beginning of our life. Did it ever occur to you why the Catholic Church emphasizes, stresses, that baptisms should always be with babies at the very beginning of their life? We shouldn't wait for children to become adolescents, teenagers, or even adults for them to choose to be baptized. No, this tradition is continued on for centuries and centuries on end. Why? Because the Catholic Church knows That at the very beginning of our life in this world, the very beginning we begin to take breaths as babies in this world, the church wants us to now be united in a life with Jesus Christ. And so the church strongly emphasizes that baptism should always occur at the very beginning of life so that we can be claimed by God. So at the very beginning of our life, now our life is joined in union to God, through baptism. One could say we live out the ramifications of our baptism throughout our entire life, always listening to the call of God. And we recognize that call, just like Paul did. Now, Paul says next, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Apostle. It comes from the Greek word apostilling, which means to send. Now, we use part of that word in our everyday world, everyday life. The post office, 
post comes from the Greek word sending. Next time you go to the post office, think about it. The Greek word sending, you are going to the sending office. Quite appropriate because that's what we do. We send cards and letters to the post office. Now, the apostle means one who is sent. Paul's whole identity is wrapped up as an apostle, as one sent to carry God's word into this world. And yet, every Christian has this same responsibility. With faith and hope, we carry Christ into this world. How do we do it? Through the power of the Eucharist. Every time we gather for Mass, we literally take in Jesus' body and his blood. And then we leave Mass with Christ. And we take Christ to people who couldn't come to church or Mass. In the power of the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, people see Christ in our actions. They hear Christ in our words. We take Christ to people. And see, we do the same thing that Paul has done. That's what discipleship means. Now, Paul continues, to the church of God that is in Corinth. Now, Corinth, during the day of Paul, was a large Roman city. It's in present-day Greece, along the Aegean Sea. Now, it was a great city of trade. It was, you could say, the go-between, the hub between Asia and Europe. So, it was a very wealthy city. But it was also a very decadent and morally corrupt city. Now, notice what Paul uses, this word church. This is probably the first time anyone within the disciples or the apostles used this word church to describe a collection of disciples of Jesus Christ. The Greek word Paul uses, ekklesia, comes from the two Greek words, ek and kleo, which means to be called out from. We are the church and we are called out from something. So it begs the question, who's doing the calling? What are we called out from? And what are we called into? Well, Christ is the one that's doing the calling, just like he did for Paul. And see what he's indicating here. Paul is saying to the people in the church of Corinth, they are called by Christ, just like Paul was. In fact, we are all. We in the church are summoned by God. We are called out of a world of self-absorption, the ego, self-deception, all those things that prevent us from practicing our faith, where we are called out of those things. What are we called into? A vibrant, life-giving faith community. That's what the church is. Next, Paul says, You have been sanctified by Christ Jesus. Sanctified, which means to be made holy, to be set apart, We as a church are called into a life with Christ, which means we are sanctified such that our acting, our thinking, our speaking are all done in accordance to and with Christ. We are called again out of the world of self-absorption and the ego, called into a life with Christ that can only be found in the church. Take it a step further. Paul is telling us that he has this vision of the church and he sees the church as one whole church, not a conglomeration of different communities worshiping God. No, Paul sees the Catholic church as one. Later on in Corinthians, he'll give us that great analogy. The church is the body. Christ is the head. 
That's how closely we are connected to God. Now, this is very impressive, this vision that Paul has. Realize, Corinthians was written 50-51 AD, probably 10-12 years after Jesus ascended back into heaven. The church is in extreme infancy, and yet it is Paul and no one else that has this great vision that now calls a collection of disciples as the church. See, Paul says anyone who is called by Christ, whether you're in Corinth or Galatia or Rome, we are all part of the one church that Jesus Christ started and is in. That's why he says, called to be holy with all those everywhere who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so true. Sometimes we get wrapped up in our own local church. You know, we tend to forget that we are part of a worldwide church, Holy Mother Church, the Catholic Church. Therefore, we have a responsibility to support all our fellow Catholics around the world. One last thing. What does Paul wish for the church? Well, he says, grace to you and peace from our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, where have you heard that before? At the very beginning of every Mass, the priest says, the grace and peace of Jesus Christ and the Lord be with you all. And the people respond, and with your spirit. This is what Paul wishes upon the church, God's grace, which is a gift from God. And see, that's what this new evangelization is all about. Stewardship, recognizing, you know, we have all been given gifts by God, given by God for the express purpose of the edification of the church, the building up of the church. We have to recognize each and every one of us has different skills, talents, and abilities. They have been freely received from God, and now we must freely give them for the building up of the church so that the church benefits, grows, and prospers from that. And see, when we are good stewards of the gifts God has given us, then Paul tells us we will receive peace. Peace of mind, a sense of purpose and fulfillment in the church, a sense of belonging, that this is where we truly belong and have peace in the church. And that's what Paul wants for all of us. Strongly encourage you, take this first paragraph of the first letter to the Corinthians to prayer this week and allow Paul to open your heart and your mind in the coming weeks ahead so that we may grow in a greater love and understanding of our church in Jesus Christ. And may the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.